When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast, the Husker Fan Sports Show with Dave, Honky, Mac, and Boomer. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast. I'm your host, David Gaspers, and I am with Honky. Crack open those champagne bottles, 1995 Huskers. You remain the greatest college football team of all time. No questions. Okay, sure, Anki. I, 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 I see where you're coming from. Uh, um, I'm also with Mac. I totally agree with you on the 95 Huskers, by the way. Uh, hey, Redcasters, just want to say uh, probably see you later. I'm only going to be part of this Redcast as long as the uh, Husker basketball team remains ranked. Pressure's on you, Miles. <laughs> uh, it is awesome to see Nebraska basketball in the rankings. Let's hope they stay there all year long, Mac. I want to have you hang around. I'm also with Boomer. Well, I'd just like to uh, remind the Redcasters with the close of the FBS regular season, the podcast transitions into all FCS playoffs all the time, so we look forward to Honky's breakdown of North Dakota State and Colgate this weekend. So. That's right. I think Honky's calling that on the Ocho, so I think that'll be really That's right. Great toothpaste. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, there is, is a playoff in uh, FBS, it may not be as extensive and elaborate as the FCS 16-team playoffs, but uh, we did see those uh, uh, that committee uh, give four teams a chance to compete for the national title. Uh, Boomer, uh, in your theory that the world is so dark, uh, we were facing a SEC two-team scenario again for much of Saturday afternoon as Georgia was leading Alabama, but uh, ultimately... Uh, Nick Saban's deal with the devil came through just fine, and his backup quarterback, who has 26 career wins and an SEC Offensive Player of the Year, uh, stepped up to to win him a, a SEC championship. What did you see out there between uh, uh, Saban versus Kirby Smart? Well, again, like you said, I don't, I don't know what uh, how many souls Saban has actually sold, uh, or maybe the entire state of Alabama has, but it's incredible. He may be the devil himself. I mean, that, that, that's, that's as likely possible. a scenario as anything. It actually makes a lot more sense when you put it that way. So there's that, yeah. And it, it's nice when you have that to fall back on as your backup quarterback, when your Heisman leading quarterback, you know, falls short in a game that you have uh, just, you know, an all-conference leading quarterback to step into. So that helps any team out for sure. And then just boneheaded Kirby Smart-esque decisions in that game really cost Georgia a lot, too. Like, that fake punt was just awful. The execution, the call on that was terrible. So It was horrible. Yeah, they had to do something, but that certainly certainly wasn't it. And you could just kind of feel that game had gotten away from it at that point anyway. And then as yeah. far as the, the, you know, the playoff picture itself, you know, we kind of talked about it a lot on Twitter, you know, on that. It's... Despite ESPN's best efforts, they did leave Georgia out of it. I think they probably really wanted to put them in there, but I sort of suspect all heck would have broken loose completely had the committee put Georgia in, would be my suspicion. I mean, they didn't even drop them below Ohio State, so if that kind of tells you something, how they view Georgia and where they, how much they really value these conference championships and things like that. They really didn't, but 
I sort of suspect they they bumped Georgia down and moved Oklahoma up just to placate this and kind of eliminate any sort of talk about expansion at this point. Yeah, because you, you see afterwards we even have uh, commissioners like Delaney who are really fighting for the Big Ten coming out and saying they're satisfied with these sort of results. So as long as he gets his <laughs> you know high-quality napkins and the Rose Bowl suite or whatever, he seems to be happy rather than actually fighting for things that are good for the conference. But you know, sure, that's just sure. my opinion. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's start there. Let's uh, go sweep left. Sweep left. Our wide-angle view of all things college football and, and talk more about – uh, not just the playoff honky, but also good old SEC bias and, you know, guys like Kirk Herbstreet of Ohio State campaigning for Georgia essentially to get in uh, as a two-loss team and that's not a conference champion. And uh, really, if you look at that criteria that the, the committee is supposed to be using, um, they did actually adhere to it finally this year in the sense that they did actually, um, even though the eye test supposedly says Georgia's a better team, uh, and they'll uh, that that um, a, a conference champion Oklahoma did actually get in at that four spot. How, how do you feel like the the committee did their job uh, this weekend? Well, I guess first off, I, I want to just congratulate myself for winning last week's title or title picks, going nine and one. That included picking UAB to win over Middle Tennessee State, proving that the prior week's loss was an albatross. I, I did pick the Blazers <laughs> as well. You did too, but. But, Dave, to your point there, I'd like to seriously ask people that that feel like Georgia didn't get in and they almost politicize it like, well, Georgia obviously was one of the four best teams, but they didn't get in because just to, you know, appease everyone. That's to Boomer's point, they, that, that the to, committee to actually point. wanted to actually, like, slow down this, this progression to an eight-team playoff. And I really challenge the, the point that Georgia was a top-four team anyways. Just on the premise of it, uh, we give a lot of garbage to the to the uh, committee for taking Alabama a year ago and they didn't win the, the championship. But the reality is in the first four years of the playoff, the 16 teams that were picked, 14 of them won their championships. The only ones that didn't were Alabama a year ago and then Ohio State two years ago when Penn State won the championship. So there was already a precedent that said that you need to win your championship 14 out of 16 times. You need to win your conference championship to make it. On top of that, they've never allowed a two-loss team into it. Yeah. So if Georgia had made it, if they would have been, you know, number four, or of course what I think what Herb Street wanted them to be number three. Oh, yeah, you wanted to move up. Yeah. Yeah, that would have been great. So then they wouldn't have to play Alabama in the first round. But had they done that with Georgia, they would have broke two precedents pretty bad there, allowing a two-loss team in there and taking a team that didn't win the conference title. So is Oklahoma deserving? Absolutely they are. To be 12-1, and one, to win the, the Big 12 – and I'm really excited to watch that Alabama-Oklahoma game because as I was watching Alabama and defensively have some success against Fromm, I was like, you know what? I don't think Alabama's played a quarterback like Murray. I think it's going to be true. a lot of fun to watch Murray go against that defense and, and challenge them the way that I like to see Martinez challenge defenses in the coming years. Mobile quarterback, making that defense have to play the whole field. Sure, sure. You know, Mac. uh what's your take on, on Georgia, I guess, and how good they actually are to, to – Hockey's point there, they lost their two best, uh, the games against their two best opponents probably, right? They lost to Alabama, they lost to LSU by 20 in LSU, and they did not look good at all in that game. And 
with only eight conference games. I, uh, Boomer, you probably know they're non-conference, but it was besides yes, Georgia Tech. They played Georgia Tech, UMass, Austin P, and uh, gosh, who was the other one? There was one more. It wasn't wasn't yeah, great. It was awful. Uh, oh, mean, Middle look, Tennessee State. That was the other one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's just that's just. So you better look good against those teams. And uh, and since they never play Alabama in the regular season, obviously, uh, it, it's just frustrating that I, I think the SEC has a recipe. And I think Dirk Chatelain pointed this out in, in his column and a few others. It's a clear recipe for success on how to get teams in the playoff. And that's, I mean, really, it's like fundamentally like old school, like AP voting where it's like, if you don't have any losses, you're going to be very highly ranked, right? You know, well, I mean, SEC knows how to have a couple really good teams. Um, and and we really don't know how good they are. Because I don't know how good the competition is, but they... They only have one loss or zero losses, and they look like playoff teams. And honestly, they really only have a couple of competitive games all year long. And in Georgia's case, they actually lost the two that really would have, you yeah. know, legitimized them. You know. Yeah, I mean, as much as this conference likes to dress up the other the other players in it, it's still Alabama's conference. It's it's still all about Alabama. Absolutely, I mean, Georgia's. Georgia's kind of come along now, and Kirby Smart's kind of this hot thing, and, and they're certainly recruiting at a level that, that demands some attention. But when they go head-to-head, Alabama beats them, just like Alabama beats the rest of that conference every time they go head-to-head. And, and we continue to hear about how good the SEC is when they're banging heads with everybody except Alabama. They have, they have completely risen to a level that nobody else can touch in that conference. And everybody acts like that's okay. They act like that's how it should be. This is a mega conference. No, it's not. It's one team and yeah, sure. one coach, and they and he is killing you guys. And yet somehow, you all take credit for their glory. I mean, even Kentucky will take credit for how good Alabama is. Yeah, and, Kentucky's and, like ranked fourteenth in that country. They're eight and four. Right. I mean, I, I just it's, I just don't see it. But because of Alabama is so good, Kentucky's supposedly. But where Purdue, good. like a loss to Purdue, is just like oh, unbelievable. And an I understand albatross. that score was high. Yeah. That's an, it's albatross. an albatross. But but do, as far as the playoff committee goes, though, I really have no problem with the, with the selections they made. I mean, Clemson, yes. Notre Dame, yes. Alabama, certainly. You know, you want to get nitpicky between Oklahoma and Ohio State? I mean, that's just it. I mean, we're at the fourth game there. Who cares? I, I, the right teams are in right now. I think the eventual champion will be one of two obvious as it be, Clemson or Alabama. That's kind of where it's at. So I don't have any problem with that. You've I understand teams complaining. I understand the Big Ten wanting to have more of a say in it. But, you know, we've made our own bed here. We we, we signed the big TV contract. We're going to play all these conference games. We've hamstring ourselves. And, and, and we get to look at the outside looking in. But, hey, at least we get to go to the Rose Bowl, right? Everybody's happy about that, right? We've <laughs> well, secured I'll that. T- I'll tell you what. I think a team like, like Kentucky, if they could beat Penn State, you would watch how the SEC would be all behind that about look at the depth of this conference, look at that victory. But the second that LSU loses to UCF, if that would happen, David Pollock was already talking about before they even announced that game being played, he was already bringing up, well, LSU, what if they had two or three guys don't show up because of the draft? What if they don't play in that game? Already starting to create excuses, and that's one of the biggest SEC issues I have right there is that you can't beat the SEC even when you beat them. Yep. It, to most people, UCF didn't beat Auburn it. last year. Yeah. Never mind UCF not having a quarterback co- in this game, so that that's apparently okay. But, you know, yeah. Yeah, it, it just it, it 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 blows me away there. But the, I'll tell you this: the Big Ten has so many opportunities right now, 
in the bowl games to step up and, and direct head-to-head. We've got Purdue playing Auburn. We've got Kentucky playing Penn State. We have Michigan playing Florida. We have uh, Michigan O's. Yeah, Michigan, Michigan O's from last season's bowl season. And then Miss, and Mississippi State, State against Iowa. I mean, we have multiple opportunities head-to-head Four against the SEC. Big Ten SEC matchups, yeah. And the Big Ten needs to show up there. Yeah. Simple as that. Yep. Speaking of players not actually playing bowl games, Noah Fant, Iowa tight end, declared for the NFL and will not be playing for Iowa. Uh, Boomer Kirk Ferentz is ecstatic about that, I hear. Yeah, he, I'm sure he's thrilled about that, and uh, almost Iowegians are as well. But granted, you know, he barely played anyway for half the season, so I don't think they're really going to notice. That's a good point. There, That's a good so point. What's the difference? I, I did see a mock draft where Fant went 28th to, to the Patriots. I'm like, oh, oh of course. Yeah. That'd be perfect. And uh, right after that, I don't know what team it was, but TJ Hawkinson would go 29th, which is intriguing to me because if Iowa loses both their tight ends to the NFL this year, that'd be really, really something. Uh, all right, guys. Anything else uh, on the wide angle view of college football, Honk? What else you want to talk about? Any Heisman favorites, guys? Oh, I, that's a good question. With with Tua getting injured, I don't know if that's yeah. The Athletic today they do a straw poll, which is pretty you know in depth, and uh, they actually had Murray passing Tua um, on this week for the very first time, and so. And apparently only 10% of the votes had gone in before those championship games. So, I mean, Tua definitely didn't have a great game before he left, and he was not there to win the game for for Alabama, their biggest game of the year. Um, Murray's probably the reason why Oklahoma did beat Texas. I, I think he's got a shot now. I don't know if he really deserves it, I, but his numbers are, are, are good enough. So, yeah. Well, how, how interesting is it that this playoff, the – traditional thing going into a season is we always talk about quarterback experience coming in and how many starts they have and all that and those are the teams that you you give the the, the favor sure. to going For into sure. the season and look at these four teams right now I think there were six starts between all of the quarterbacks that were the starting quarterbacks of these four teams uh you know Lawrence obviously was a freshman and Notre Dame's quarterback hadn't started prior to this yep. year and Murray hadn't and, and two that's had, a crazy had one stat. start that I mean it's crazy stat Sure. I mean, it's just nuts how, how few starts those guys had. So almost no experience at that key position. Um, but if, if you, Honk, if you look at the Heisman finalists, there's three of them, I believe. Uh, they announced Tua, Murray, and Haskins from Ohio State are, are the, mm-hmm. the three quarterbacks going to be in New York. Dwayne Haskins didn't start a, a game until this year. All three yeah. of them mm-hmm. uh, hadn't started a game. They all, all, all have one, one year. Yeah, it's I mean it's just that's crazy stat there, and it shows that Martinez. <laughs> it shows that you know it doesn't necessarily take the three and four years to develop that that spot anymore. I mean, you can get guys in there, especially with these offenses that aren't pro style that take four years to to get into. Even Alabama's learned that it's easier now in the style of play that they're doing now versus back in the McElroy days. They can get a guy in there now, and in a year or two, using athleticism, yeah. that guy can go out there and start to play. Um, yeah, absolutely. But I do want to mention this is something I had written down. I just I've said it before, and I just I feel like I need to say it again with the SEC. I'm so tired. If I was a Bama fan, I'd be upset at my own conference. I'd be upset <laughs> at the SEC taking my credit. And I I I hear so many times, Boomer. You would have saw this this weekend on Twitter. I was off Twitter the whole weekend. I didn't do anything. But Boomer, I'm sure was nobody on can it. tell. I and I saw some of the responses that came into one of the things that you wrote, and and some guy was writing about how you know the SEC's won this many titles and this and this, and I'm like, stop it, 
The SEC hasn't won that. Saban has won that. Nobody back in the 1960s said the Pac-8 is the greatest basketball conference because of John Wooden. You know, everyone gave due credit to do, you know, who deserved it. UCLA yeah. was a great basketball team, won a bunch of titles in a row. That's what Bam has done right now. But you take away one bought title that Auburn won, and that's flat out what it was. I mean, they, it's shocking that they weren't on some level of probation with what went on with Cam Newton. Sure. Short of that in the last 10 years, who outside of Alabama has had success in that in the last 10 years? In the last 10 years now. Well, LSU. I mean, Myers go back last to 2008, year was 2008, got, so there's nobody. Okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's Bama. And and the, here's my thing. I'm not knocking Bama. I'm not knocking I'm not going to be that guy that's no, saying absolutely. anything bad about Saban. You know what? They've they deserve it. They've earned it. SEC has ridden the coattails. And when it starts to have the effect of when the, when the conference is so good, that's when other teams should get pulled into championships and playoffs and stuff. Sure. That's the point where our earlier conversation takes hold. Well, well yeah, think, the hypothetical I'll go ahead, Boomer. I was just going to say, I think, you know, if you're an Alabama fan, I don't think you're necessarily upset at that. I think you encourage that because that becomes kind of a symbiotic relationship then, so to speak, because sure. Alabama gets all these breaks because of scheduling. Of schedule. If they do lose a game because, oh, the SEC is so tough, they basically get a gimme every year So yep. where other conferences don't have that. So they can lose a game to pick a Mississippi, and it doesn't affect them. So yeah. whereas, or not, you know, Ohio or State loses to Iowa or Purdue. Yeah, or not win their division, and, well – you know they're they're doomed. You know they they finish sixth in the BCS or BCS college football polls. So yeah, I well mean, if, you're, if you're Alabama, you encourage that. I think. Yeah, Dave, you were going to talk. Oh, about... I was uh, two things really quick. I mean, I think you know the albatross of a loss Ohio State has with Purdue because they went six and six, uh, and Purdue had a phenomenal game versus Ohio State. Tons of motivation night game at home. Mm-hmm. There's just I mean that was just one of those things. That was a buzzsaw for Ohio State, and, you know, if, if you took – Purdue played Missouri in non-conference. They played BC, I believe. Yes. Um, they lost Eastern Michigan, who's, you know, probably a better MAC team than what you give them credit for. I mean, if you gave Purdue an eight-game eight conference schedule and easy non-conferences, they'd probably go eight and four and are probably ranked like 23rd in the country like Missouri is this week. And Alabama's been getting credit for beating five ranked teams or whatever, and it's because Missouri somehow got ranked the last week of the season. You know, I mean, it's one of those things where the SEC has this formula that works. They only play eight conference games. They don't match their best teams up against one another. Alabama and Georgia never play each other in, in conference. Uh, they have FCS. A, essentially a, a bye week in, in November with an FCS school. Uh, and they, they play relatively mild non-conference, it, even if they do, and it's neutral site. And, and, Dave, and Dave, don't forget neutral site means Auburn versus Washington in Atlanta. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's very important. I mean, uh, run through your scenario of that with the, the, the Big Ten, and we go down to eight eight games. We play Bethune-Cookman every November 4th or whatever. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's easier to start racking up nine or ten win seasons. And I, that's what I'm saying is, like, the, the committee apparently loves wins, right? You w- win nine, ten, eleven games, and they think you're a great team. Yeah, I'm um, not sure the Big Ten gets the benefit of the doubt that the SEC does in that scenario. I mean, if Ohio State plays, you know, whomever, you know. So that's my final FCS point team, of the yeah. of the formula and how we got here is that Alabama being the, the dominant team uh, – gives everybody that legitimacy, right? Um, if Ole Miss randomly beats Alabama once every few years, Ole Miss is suddenly must be pretty good because they can beat Alabama once every five years, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. the weird thing, ACC has the same scenario. They have an eight-game schedule. 
Uh, Clemson is the dominant team now that's won four straight ACC titles, but the ACC doesn't seem to be able to orchestrate the same like you know recipe of success to have a bunch of other ACC schools knocking on the door of the playoff. You well, know? just wait until the, the ACC network gets up and running with ESPN, and that might change the narrative, I think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you might be on to something there, Boomer, well, because it you, seems you odd. You mentioned that the, the playoff committee likes wins. And, and to your point, that you're right. Notre Dame got in being undefeated. But it's funny. I watched enough different commentators, and some of it's from the, the, the network you just mentioned. There were people that suggested that if Georgia – when, when oh, the, totally. the call was to get Georgia in there, one team that might be able to – fall their way out as an undefeated Notre Dame. Now, I'm glad that didn't happen, but it's amazing how being 12-0 and didn't look so good if it was the team you didn't want to be 12-0. and And don't even get me started on UCF there. Um, well, the, the world is so dark, as Boomer talks about. Maybe we should move past the playoff. I guess one other national thing to talk about, Dave, how about guys like Bill Snyder retiring and sure. some of the coaching carousel? What are your thoughts? What are your thoughts, I guess, on, on Snyder, number one? Well, I, I think we talked about Snyder uh, a few podcasts ago, and I'm not surprised. Um, I'm I'm a little surprised that, I mean, there was no formal, like, you know, press conference or anything like that, um, no discussion of whether uh, his son would take over or have any sort of role going forward. There's a huge coaching tree to pull from here. I think there's some guys that are um, pie in the sky. I know some K-State fans, the first thing they say is Brent Venables. And I'm like, you're not getting Brent Venables to go back to K-State, I don't think. But I think Jim Lovett clearly is in his contract. D.C. or Oregon would be uh, an option. Um, I think Belima could be an option. There's other uh, coaches outside of the, the Snyder coaching tree that could be uh, legitimate hires. Um, I, I, I'm not – not surprised. I think there's other, you know, Paul Johnson just left from Georgia Tech. That'll be an interesting hire. Difficult place to, to academic, um, you know, standards that are a bit higher. Uh, but I think they could probably, with the right offense, with all that talent in Georgia, could be a, a big hit. So I think there's some interesting hires out there. Boomer? I agree. Boom. Boomer, what are your thoughts on the, the carousel? Oh, it'll just be kind of interesting to see. Uh <laughs> It's not the huge name schools that are open, but it's a lot of opportunities for uh, people to move around. Um, I think it is it confirmed that Colorado hired uh, Georgia's defensive coordinator. Is that did that get confirmed? I, I know that was talked about over the weekend. So, heard it as confirmed, but Mel okay. Tucker is is the leading candidate, as they they say. So yeah, that'll be interesting. And I was kind of intrigued watching Georgia's defense this weekend to see how that's going to play out. So I'm fascinated with that. Um, at Louisville, I think they were eyeing App State's coach. Now that Louisville finally. Yeah, that'd be a good hire. Satterfield, whole thing fell out. So I think that's a good hire. I was surprised he didn't get any sniffs from like uh, North Carolina or schools like that. I was, I was surprised with the Mac Brown hire from North Carolina. That one kind of surprised me. I don't know why you're going that back to the past. That just seems a little silly. It is surprising. That would surprise me. Uh, I saw earlier today Turner Gill retiring from Liberty. So I don't know what his plan is in the future. I mean. Is there a coordinator's office we're dusting off here for him or some sort of consultant-type job? I don't know. I'm sure there might be consultant. some call for that. But, yeah, there's a lot of movement in these lower schools. I think it's going to be interesting to watch. And uh, I did see, I think there was a certain uh, coach and a couple of assistants from Youngstown State that were hanging around Kansas State area this weekend. So, yeah, who knows? <laughs> you know, I think they were there looking at a, watching a high school game. But uh, maybe they dropped a few resumes off. I don't know. So we might see yeah. them pop up somewhere. Bo and Carl awesome. would come back to K-State. That would be hilarious. See, there's a connection. Uh, so it, it could happen. Obviously, with less miles at Kansas, uh, 
That's a, you know, that and Mac Brown, both of them, very interesting. I think it's about how they hire that staff uh, and how they recruit. Ultimately, they'll see if those are successes. Could or you not. see Bo taking a DC job like at Kansas? He's got a history with Les Miles. I mean, would that be a option if you're Les Miles? Would you consider that? I think that's a great idea. I love the idea. Yeah, I mean, if only I mean, for media comedy exposure. I mean, you've got that going for you. You need that at Kansas. So. Yeah, and you didn't have a good year at, at Youngstown. So, no, and his contract is up. I think in February, and our yes. money runs out. So, so yeah, our money finally know. runs out. So he's motivated to actually get paid again. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's a great question. Great question. Well, when you're only paying one coach, you start to have. Uh, money for maybe things like facilities. Who knows? Oh yeah, that, oh. that might be dropping a little bit of the next segment. But uh, you know, just oh, just dramatic foreshadowing. That's right. <laughs> we will talk about potential upgrades to the Nebraska facilities uh, when we turn our attention to scarlet colored glasses. Scarlet colored glasses. All right. Next on the Go Big Redcast, let's put our scarlet colored glasses on and talk all things Husker football, uh, inside and outside the program. You know, Honky, uh, buzz out there right now uh, about uh, potential upgrades to the Nebraska football facilities. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things where you get some bright, shiny new stuff um, and you feel like you're, you got the best out there. And ultimately, everyone else is also getting bright and shiny new stuff after you get that. And it's been, oh, a decade or more now since we really upgraded big time over there on uh, in the stadium, and so uh, what do you think about the opportunities for uh, some significant upgrades to the football facility there for the Huskers? You know, we've talked about this in the past, and th- it's not surprising that uh, we're talking about facility updates. What's surprising is where. A lot of the focus is on the south side, which still will eventually, something will happen in the south side of Memorial Stadium, but right now what's come out in several articles over the last couple of days is about north side improvements, basically football improvements, football facility ones, Focused, not fan yep. amenity stuff necessarily. And I think it's when I first read it, you get a little bit of the are you serious? Like we just did this. Like two thousand six isn't that long ago. But the reality is, is that a lot of things have changed since two thousand six. Not just the conferences have changed, not just that other programs like Iowa and Purdue and Minnesota have new facilities that they didn't have when we joined the Big Ten. But on on top of that with now having Frost here as opposed to Callahan. When they build all the stuff in the north, we had Callahan and, and Peterson building basically for what the philosophy was at that time, which was 100 guys on a team. Sure. Now we have these beliefs of 150, 170 guys on a team. So there's a lot of changes that need to be done there. But it goes a little deeper than that. Last Monday, a friend of the Redcast, Brian, he invited me. He won some passes to, to eat at the, the training table. So I went and ate at the training table last Monday – Martinez sat right next to us at, like, the table, not, like, right next to me. <laughs> right next table to over. hockey. Yeah. There's a restraining order. Um, but, but, you know, I mean, and so, and it's a nice area. I've, I've eaten there before and everything. It's nice. But Moose, and Athletic Director Moose, in one of the, the recent articles, kind of talked about how, you know, just in general, if you compare what we have, we have nice facilities, but they just aren't shiny the way that what you'd see at the Oregons and the new Northwestern what was doing at Washington State mm-hmm. and Northwestern. So what they're talking about is basically probably doing something where the existing track is right now and actually building a fully functional football facility up there. And I'll just say, you know, without seeing all the plans and everything, just having a belief that they're going to do it right, I love the idea of it. 
it's a land grab for football. It is. Sure. It basically connects Memorial Stadium all the way to Cook Pavilion and all the way north to all the, the practice facilities north of it. It moves track up closer to Devaney Center where the indoor track is and also puts it on the Innovation Campus where there's some space and they can do something well up there with, with parking and just new facilities. But for football purposes, I love the idea. I absolutely love it. Kind of came out of left field for me personally, but I just think it's a great idea. Sure. So, you know, Hockey, I remember I've known you for a long time, and, and when we were back in high school, you wanted to be an architect, right? Was That, that was your thing, right? That's right. I wanted to build facades. <laughs> yes, you were big on having facades. Yes. Um, so let's, let's go ahead and put that uh, junior architect hat back on, and everyone do that. Uh, let your, you know, like imagination run wild, right? We know that Oregon has like amazing facilities. Clemson has huge like water slides. Northwestern has a glass practice facility out on Lake Michigan. If so, we know if Prox, uh, the, the, the location would be the Ed Weir track area, right? What mm-hmm. could you imagine that's just going to be this amazing wow you know, feature that's just going to blow everyone away. Mac? Yeah, for me, I think to, to scream Husker football, to scream Husker power, I think our statement has got to be our weight room again. I think that's where we, where we shine and we make a big, expansive, state-of-the-art, everything, every bell and whistle weight room again. We've got a guy in there in Duval who's willing to maximize it, and just short of that with the nutritional staff, with, with Ellis on board, those are going to be the way that, that Husker Power is rebuilt. So for me, you know, obviously the weight, excuse me, the uh, locker room being up to size, you know, that's, that's one thing, but, but the weight room has to be where we hang our hat. That's where we go to work. That's where we take these, these farm kids and we turn them into to national champions. We turn them into conference champion players, you know, so... Uh, and I feel like that's how we that's how we were pioneers back when it in the day, and I feel like that's how we have to do it moving forward. I think that's yeah. great, Mac. About Honk? Well, and I, and I think it's all the pieces of it. It's the nutrition side and it's the medical side. If you were going to build a facility, and that's a lot of space. If you go down in that track area, yeah. you have a lot of space there. I mean, they're not going to build a building. I don't think that would take up all of it. it but but there's a lot of space to put a big enough structure where you would have all three elements of medical, food, and and the weights to really kind of holistically, how do we build players up and how do we keep them healthy, right? And then on top of that, they could probably do something um, still for fan amenities. Because right now, the fans, you know, that's that uh, area where they kind of have the family-friendly tailgating spot. But a lot of it you can't go on to because they don't want you on the on the so- or the inside field and, and all that. I mean, you could really custom make an area that – has a lot of football purpose for the team indoors and still have an outdoor area that is custom built for fan amenities, whether that's slides or all the other things you just kind of mentioned, like Clemson I know has. You know, the, Clemson has like outdoor basketball courts that have, or, you know, they're indoor-outdoor ones, you know, no walls, but there's a cover on top. And putting just in miniature golf. Put, yeah. yeah, all that stuff that could double as cool things for players, you know, on recruiting, but also cool things for, for kids to be doing during – during tailgating family-friendly areas. So I'm excited to see what they do with it. It's a huge amount of land that they could do something with, and I think it would be great for football. And like I said, also from a track and field perspective, it is something that could move them into an area that could become a newly kind of rebuilt area up there on Innovation Campus too. So I just think it's a really good use of land for, for all purposes. 
Yeah, Boomer, you want to jump in on this? Uh, any, any fabulous ideas come to mind on, on this uh, new facility? Well, an Ewall Jumbo steam statue, of course. I mean, that'll draw all the recruits in. you got to have that. Brilliant. But, uh, I will yeah. sign that petition the second you get it together. I think that's a <laughs> yes, good and, point, and, Boomer, well, actually. Yeah, I was, was, was kind of going to tie that into what, I, what I'd kind of like to see. I, you know, I think, like, when you go into, you know, the stadiums, like, where we keep all of our trophies and past history and everything like that, it's kind of just crammed into that lobby, and it's not really – a lot of it's not really displayed well or talked about well. You might wander around a hallway and see a few things here and there. Why don't we build a much more impressive kind of entryway kind of for everyone when they're coming into the stadium or we're bringing players in. You're seeing this massive history. Yeah, that I think that'd be awesome. about, you know, Nebraska back to, you know, the 1880s essentially. Uh, let's, let's show them all the trophies. Let's have a great display for these sorts of things. It would be great for – you know, recruiting, it'd be great for fans to bring them in and be able to see this. And, uh, you know, even current players to kind of go in. And it's great to really bring the culture home to what Nebraska is and what we what we think we are in the past. I think that'd be a great way to take advantage of this opportunity if we're going to rebuild and redesign. Yeah, great point. All right, anything else on this, Honk? Well, I think some of this doubles up, too, with some of the, the previous conversations we have with the South Side. And we don't know what's going to happen with the South Side long term, but I, I think it's fair to say that at least one goal is to be – be able to create a you know a concourse that goes all the way around, right? Well, part of that south side we had talked about at one point maybe even being like a Husker Hall of Fame. Well, this actually opens things up to maybe have the Hall of Fame be up on the north side. Point is, I went and I, I toured Notre Dame when we went down to the Nebraska-Michigan game in 2013. We stopped on Friday uh, before and went to Notre Dame and did a full tour, paid 10 bucks. And and they walk you all around the outside concourse, took you into the press box. You get they to go and, charge you for that? Yep. Hey, we paid it and uh, gladly. And you get to go into the. Uh, Is that to, not a donation to the church? Uh, whatever. <laughs> but we got to go into the um, uh, the locker room. You got to walk down the steps and hit the play like a champion sign. You got to see where where Rockney gave his you know win one for the Gipper speech. So all of those things that's super cool. And it's not really conducive right now at Memorial Stadium the way that it's structured. So the idea that you could eventually, you know, if you think really long-term here, South Stadium's done too. The idea that you might walk into North Stadium, and that is where, that's where the, let's, let's just call it Hall of Fame for, let, you know, lack of a better term. You're going to walk into Hall of Fame. You're a fan. You're going to walk in there. You're going to walk around the stadium. Maybe you can get onto the turf. Who knows? But, but everything's fan-based, right? But as Boomer's point is, right now everything's really cramped up there because you have players involved. There's business going on on the North side, and we're trying to get fans in there doesn't work well. So you have this side building that has all the amenities. That, that's where you know the coaches, the players, and everyone, they go to this side building. There's also some really cool recruiting pieces in there. There's some history. There's some trophies. And it just really works itself out well. I think it, we have space. I've, one thing I've said, and, and, and all of us have gone to a lot of away facilities. We've gone to Michigan's and Penn State's and Ohio State's and Wisconsin's, and I can go down the list. Nebraska to me, has always been set up as well as anybody. It's it's compact. We have everything kind of within walking distance. I've been to Michigan where you have the big stadium, and then it's like three or four blocks over to the to the east, I think it is, is where their practice facilities are. We don't have that. And we we will continue to not have that by building this right there. I just – I'm so excited to see what they build. And one last thing, and I'll, I'll be quiet on it, Moose has some history with this. He's done this with Washington State. And I'm not sure what all he did with Oregon when he was there, but I know with Washington State they built facilities, and that's that's important. We've got a guy that that's that's done this before, knows what needs to be built. 
Well, and Frost is going to have a say in it too. Oh yeah, probably you know, just and, a little. And, and yeah. with 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 the Oregon ties that he has, he knows what's current. Oh, he knows what's yeah. out there. Yeah. They, these are young coaches that have been around. I mean, the fact that they went ahead and looked at Clemson first before they started making these moves. Yeah, did you hear that? Just tells you that you hear that last week yeah. when they played at Clemson in basketball, they had they sent some guys or some of the the team down there to to check out the football facilities. I mean, just yeah, it's it's brilliant. It's kind of goes back to Moose talking about you know if you want a premium coach, we're going to pay a p- premium price. If you want to be a premium program, there's no use in penny pension right now. That's yep. not that's not nope. what we're after. We're trying to win championships. We're trying to. You don't do that on a budget, you know. That's if you don't have to. We don't have to do that. That's not who we are. Yeah. Let's be a blue blood. We got let's, big. We got big ten money. Let's coming act in. like. Let's act like we're supposed to be there. You know, Alabama wouldn't bat an eye at something like this if they felt like that's what they needed to do. Yep. and that's what Nebraska yep. should do. Absolutely. Moose talked. Moose talked about windows, and he said windows at at uh, Washington State when they were building their facility. That the first thing they did, they they were going to build this new uh, weight room. And the weight room was on the first floor, and it was just dark and kind of crampy. And he's like, no, I want to move this up onto the second floor. And they're good to do that, he had, he had to have, like, a little argument with the designers. But they ended up putting, like, I'm going to blow this, but it was, like, 400 pounds of springs or something. They put springs in between the first and the second floor to keep things quiet on the first floor and have a weight room above it. But the point was he wanted to have that weight room up high. He wanted to have it up where they had windows above it. He wanted light coming in. And I guess as I go back to my – uh, you know, training table experience of last Monday. It's a great train table. It's a great facility, but it is enclosed. It's underneath the stadium. It's yep. not maybe something that is as attractive to a player if they just came from another facility that's newer. So yep. it's great to see that this is on the, the on the horizon. Out, the, the track out of Innovation Campus makes a ton of sense for a lot of reasons too. Sure. So, th- yeah, there's a lot of good reasons for this. Yep, love it. I, I love it. Last thing, closing on this, Honk. Any any sense on how fast they think they're going to move on this? I mean, I could imagine them announcing this relatively soon, just for the promotional standpoint, and they want to get this built relatively quick. You know, Moose made the statement about, um, you know, it's hard to do it. Something about record. And he kind of said something about being four and eight right now, and that you know, is this the is this the time? But but you also get the sense that this was this was very strategically released and. And I'll tell you what, you just need you need the right people to come in and go, yeah, you know what, we need this we need to do this now. And I I think it can be done sooner than later. I hope it's done sooner than later. This is what's shocking to me is that how fast things happen in college football. In, in my mind, I still thought that we were right on on par with anybody else, but the reality is it changes so fast we're probably in the bottom half of facilities and that's just not going to cut it. Yep. Yeah, they're like laptops now. Facilities are like laptops. They don't <laughs> last for about seven years, and then you need to get them. Seven is like three, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, uh, Honk. Uh, you have some recruiting news and just overall like uh, roster uh, conversations going on. What do you have for us? I, let's talk front seven, and maybe we'll focus just on that for this week's show, and next week we can go into some other areas. But if, if we think front seven – Think of this for for some roster changes. From a recruiting standpoint, we just got an Alabama pass rusher, Jameen Graham, 6'6", 240-pounder. Guy Thomas, he just left the program, so that's one of your front seven guys. He's gone, and actually kind of where the position Thomas would be playing, you would think Graham would kind of fit somewhere in that area. Um, McGriff. You know, yeah. the wide receiver yeah. turned tight end. That's an interesting one, isn't it? Now, he, you know, it sounds like he's turned to defense. And that tells me a couple things. Uh, again, they seem to love 6'6", 
you know, six six outside linebackers slash DNs. They want you big and tall. They want length. Um, it also tells me at the tight end spot that between McGriff and I'll even say Jurgens moving to center, they feel pretty comfortable with the tight ends they have coming yeah, back. Yeah, plus, sure. you know, Chris Hickman from Burke coming in. I think they really like that tight end spot. But but they want length. And if you're not six five or six six, you're gonna have trouble in the future being a DN slash outside linebacker. If you're not 6'4", you're going to have trouble being a, a safety. If you're not 6'2 or 6'3", you're going to have trouble being a, a corner in this defense. So those are all things. And probably the most important position, and we brought this up, I think, Dave, last week or two weeks ago, we talked about the nose tackle spot. Um, it sounds like what we're hearing tonight, we're not breaking any news, and by the time this show goes live, this will definitely be out there, but Darian Daniels, the older brother yeah. of Damian Daniels, Six three three zero five from Oklahoma State. Sounds like he might be transferring yeah. here. Former four star, uh, Oklahoma State. Yeah, he just uh, yeah graduate transfer. Graduate transfer play here. So so six three, like three ten right now. So yeah. good good size for the middle. Yeah, and, and I mean, my gosh, if we can get the Daniel brothers, it, the nose tackle spot, we mentioned it on last week's show. If we can get the Davis twins away from it, if we can get them into those DN spots with the Ben Stillies and with. Um, DeAndre Thomas, if we can get those guys into true DN spots, and if the nose tackle can be a Darian Daniels or Damian Daniels or Vanuku even, the, the, the guy from Utah, you know, in his second year, or if it can be Tony Fair, the, gra- the junior college guy, right. we need big, big-bodied nose tackles. And then I think we've got, we've got the DNs right now. I, feel, I truly believe that. Give Duvall another year with those guys. But, but it's that getting that nose tackle spot right and – Making a move on a guy like Darian Daniels, that's that's a big, that's yeah. A big yeah. move. Yeah, you know, yeah, Mac, we nice we uh, just even just last week talked about how hard it is to get an impact player on the D line, and and this might be a guy, huh? Yeah, I mean, a little bit more developed, and and you know, he's been in a, he's been in a program working for the last five years or four years. I should yeah, he's say, a, so. mature physically, obviously. And yep, I mean, it could it can't hurt, right? I mean, we've we've got some work to do on the interior lines on both sides, and and. The more bodies, the better. Yeah, no, I think it's great. All right, Honk, anything else uh, roster-wise you want to want to chat about? Nope, I think that's good for this week. All right, let's head into the mailbag. All right, with the mailbag this week, uh, thank you to everyone that submitted them. We had more than we can use, and that's always a good thing. Uh, again, if you're going to contact us with it, we are at GoBigRedCast at Gmail, and you can always contact us via our social media outlets at GoBigRedCast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Uh, the first question comes from coworker Eric. And, Boomer, I'm going to send this one to you. What is your opinion on players leaving early to prepare for the draft? Uh, yeah, generally speaking, I guess I don't have a huge problem with it. I know people are going to say, you know, they've got to be good teammates, that sort of stuff. And there's some truth to that, but again, these guys are looking at a potential you know, NFL career of millions of dollars, and if they think that you know skipping that bowl, say the Cheez It Bowl, is going to help them achieve that, I have a hard time asking these kids to go out and play a game that, in the grand scheme of things, doesn't mean a whole heck of a lot. You know, as far as that goes. Now, granted, it's going to be different. You don't see a whole lot of players skipping, you know, playoff games. I mean, has that happened ever? Do we know anyone who set out a playoff game? That, to my knowledge, is not. Yeah, so I, you know that this is going to happen with these smaller bowls. Which let, let's be honest, everyone, they're not a huge deal. I mean, is anyone excited to bring home the what is the Cherubundi Tart Cherry Trophy or something the like bad that? Boy the bowl, yeah. bowl, bad yeah. Boy Gasparilla Bowl. Bad Boy Gasparilla Bowl. Now, now, Boomer, yeah. now Boomer, I don't know if uh, Eric's question 
was directed towards Noah Fant. And, I mean, do you have any oh, thoughts towards Yeah, It, <laughs> towards it, it might be directed from that or, or stem from that from that statement. But, again, we, we kind of touched on this earlier. I mean, can you really blame Noah Fant? I mean, even if he played, he wasn't going to see the field much anyway, the way Francis has <laughs> been doing. So it's just as well he's staying in the stands. I mean, he could, he'd be just as effective for him then. So. That's true. It's true. I mean, I think it is just a, a consequence of the the bulls being devalued, having all these advertisers, and and it's just it's just not the same, especially on the lower tier side, that you're gonna like potentially risk injury. So it, it is what it's gonna be at this point. It's disappointing. I agree. But. Well, our second question is from uh, Tina, and I think she's a first time mailbagger for us. So Hi, Dave. Tina. Hi, Tina. Dave, uh, I'm going to send this one to you. With and I, th- I love this question, Tina. With all the marginal kickers in the NFL, why is Drew Brown not on an NFL team? That is a great question, and um, it NFL kickers are an, an odd breed, right? They're, it's kind of a mystery, really, on how you how you, the teams actually decide on who they want to go with, too, right? Um, uh, I, I think of Alex Henry. As a Nebraska kicker, a great career at Nebraska. Gets drafted in like the fourth round for the Eagles. Has a really good first couple of years. He he struggles a little bit randomly in year three or four. He's done. They cut him. They, as soon as they lose confidence, somebody gone, right? And uh, Brett Maher didn't get a, a, a chance early in his career. Went up to Canada, proved himself. Now he's kicking for the Cowboys. Um, and, and if you keeps a, a team's confidence like Chris Brown did uh, Drew's older brother you can have a, a lucrative career for for many years in the NFL so I, I think Drew Brown still can get a shot right uh, it, it they have auditions all the time kickers end up you know you know missing kicks mid-season and they'll randomly bring three guys in and and there you go if there is one reason I could point you right now with Drew Brown is I just don't know if he has the NFL leg right? The thing with NFL kickers are they can hit 50 yarders pretty much you know, just as easy as a, a 40 or 30 yarder, right? And Drew didn't have a huge leg in Nebraska. He was good, uh, but he didn't kick a lot of, of, of big kicks like Alex Henry. So that, that's where I'd say his downfall might be. Honky? Dave, are, are, there, are there places, whether it's an indoor team or we always hear about Denver and the, the mountain air, are there certain places that – would be beneficial for a kicker to go to you think in the in the pros as in like training or just like the easiest place to kick well the the are there preferable places locations to be kicking it you know if you were drew brown and you could and you could free agency your way into the right sure i think you'd want to kick in a dome right uh i mean i you know the broncos are a good example where you're going to have more leg there so i guess if if you're going that route, I could totally see that. But you also have bad weather mm-hmm. here, et cetera. Uh, the, the domes are the uh, the most consistent the to you know, place to kick well, off of. So. so I guess, Boomer, you've got some numbers. What do you think? Yeah, I did a little looking into this, too, because um, I saw that question and kind of did a little research on uh, Drew Brown and uh, some of the stuff I found. Yeah, I, it's like Dave said. I think his biggest weakness was that lack of an NFL leg uh, to be a kicker. Um, he only attempted six kicks greater than 50 yards in his uh, career here at Nebraska, and he only made two of those. So, you know, that doesn't help. And in terms of kickoffs, he, he only averaged 42% going back for touchbacks. And that hurts a lot. And he just he, he didn't get a whole lot of opportunities from that 40 to 50-yard range at Nebraska, so I think that kind of hurt. He just didn't have a big body of work to look at. 
and that probably worked against him when it comes to just the the whole feeling that it, you know you don't trust your kicker to even make those kicks. So that that's probably why I think he's not getting a whole lot of, of talk in the NFL at this point. So Boomer, you are our special teams coordinator on the Redcast, and you mentioned the forty two percent on kickoffs. Is there kind of a is there a national standard? Is it sixty or seventy? That, that's a good what, question. I should considered? look into that. What an average NFL kicker does, you know, as far as uh, touchbacks, um, I'll have to do a little looking on that. See if I can dig it up. But yeah, forty-two percent is probably not good. I would have, especially at the NFL. Okay. I mean, yeah. good grief! Uh, how often, you know, they they almost always seem to be touchbacks half the time, or at least close to it. So. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I mean, kicking wise, I, I looked up this hockey uh, just from a uh, field goal percentage, like how often do you make it, right? And I was trying to figure out why Alex Henry just ha- hasn't got another shot again, right? I think he's done. He's selling insurance in Omaha or whatever. That's, that's great. But I, I, you felt like you would have got another another crack at it, right? And he came back, I think, for the Lions for a few games. But just his career average is like 82%. He made 82% of his kicks. I looked up. I'm a Broncos fan. I look up Matt Prater, who has been in the NFL for for years. I think he, he may still be in there somewhere else. But he, he may be like 83% over his career. That sounds about the same, right? Um, but at, at some point, if uh, a team and a coaching staff loses confidence in their kicker, they're just going to move on. It's just the way it works. And if he doesn't get into yeah. the crack, he doesn't get into the crack. Yeah, we saw it with Minnesota this year. They drafted the kid, yeah. and he was gone after two or three games. It just it doesn't take much if you miss a couple big ones. Yep. Um, well, thank you, Tina. That was a great question. Uh, third question this week is from the keg, and I'm going to direct this to Mac, but this might be one that we kind of go around the table a little bit. Um, but I'll start with you, Mac. Who would be your national head coach of the year? Ooh, some good candidates this year. Um, you know, right now, just kind of, I was thinking about him at the beginning of the year, and it was kind of the one we brought up. I mentioned Tom Herman at the beginning of the year saying, like, that's a guy I'm curious to see. Uh, he Scott mostly because of Scott Frost. Scott Frost was the Tom Herman of this last offseason hire, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, he ended up doing pretty good this year. His his losses have been close. You know, Oklahoma State was down to the wire, and so was West Virginia, um, nine win team. You only, know. only victory over Oklahoma. Exactly. So I mean, I would say if I was a Texas fan, and if if our season looked like their season did this year, next year, if if anyone could follow that, that, that <laughs> sentence, um, I would be pretty happy. With, with Nebraska next year, if they have a Texas-like year this year. Okay, so you, t- know, well, well, you know, you beat Oklahoma, that would be the equivalent of us beating, like, say, Wisconsin or, sure. or somebody like that, you know. So, uh, yeah, I, I think he's done an excellent job down there. Cool. All right. Tom yeah. Herman. And, and had a weird year on top of that. I mean, the, the cool, <laughs> cool bro hook him or whatever yeah. he, he came yeah. up with, you know, that's – He's done this with a little bit of, you Adversity? know, just, yeah. Some distraction or whatever <laughs> across right. his neck, if you will. Certainly yeah. attention he didn't want. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll go to you, Dave. What do you think? This is a really tough question. I mean, last year it was a no-brainer with Scott Frost, right? Um, if it wasn't Scott Frost winning it last year, Josh Heupel would potentially be a no-brainer for this year. Um, you know, I, I think – you could also look at like Lincoln Riley at, at Oklahoma, who um, necessarily thought they would would still be here. So yeah, I don't know. I, I don't think there's a clear cut one this year, opposed to most years where you usually find that that easy um, coach of the year candidate. And um, you know maybe it's Nick Saban, right? Yeah, well, that's interesting there. Uh, Boomer? Yeah, I mean, Dave kind of mentioned it already. I, I honestly think Josh Heupel deserves a lot of credit for stepping into the position that he did. 
I mean, yeah, you're taking over an undefeated team, but you're also stepping into an undefeated team where the entire staff left too. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a challenge most coaches don't get when they take over a head coaching job. Usually there's some somebody there that's got a connection to that team or that program that's got that relationship with the players and are able to, you know, make to ease that transition and make it work. I mean, he had to start with nothing. I mean, he had no no remaining staff. And plus he had to deal with the adversity of that, that injury to McKenzie Milton and yep. still win a championship game and win a win that game against South Florida, your rival. So Mac, you got, yeah, yeah, you got to give the guy credit for that. I mean, I, I can't argue with the job that's done. So. Mac, if you will, I was just going to say that, that that Danny White, their athletic director, deserves a lot of credit for going out and getting the right coaching coaching staff to kind of keep that ball rolling and, and going with the spread, and not not disrupting that team too much. Yeah, is there an athletic director Heibel, of the year award? Maybe we should start one. <laughs> I, I don't know. But, <laughs> the hell you know, of a hire. Heupel will not get the credit he probably should, but I mean, neither will Danny White. That was two good hires in a row. He's hired two that's, undefeated regular season. That's true. Coaches that's a great. That's a great point, Mac. I'm curious, really quick, guys. Mac and hockey in particular. Have you watched? UCF much this year? The last couple games I watched. It's just interesting to me, watch. though. I mean, Hypo was OC at Oklahoma and then in Missouri, and it feels like he actually has adapted his uh, offense, and it does actually mimic Frost in a little ways. I feel like they borrowed quite a bit of stuff. It's been kind of a transition type thing, a little bit hybrid, you know? Totally, totally agree. And Dave, I also agree with uh, one of the guys you mentioned, Lincoln Riley. That's That would be my pick for it. Um, I'm really impressed with Oklahoma right now. And when they made the move, when he made the move to get rid of Stoops, the defensive coordinator, and I tweeted something at the time, and I wasn't even trying to be snarky or anything. I just simply wanted to say this is the first bit of adversity that he's had to do under under the, the Lincoln-Riley tenure at, at Oklahoma and how are they going to respond to it? That was literally all I tweeted. And we actually had Oklahoma people kind of attacking us. And I don't know why. I wasn't trying to be rude to them or anything. It was just simply like I'm interested to see how Lincoln Riley responds now that, you know, once you take over for a legend, it's always about like, you know, if you win in the first year, well, those weren't your players and all that stuff. I feel like what he's winning right now with his team. They're two years in now. This is his team. He made a tough decision. He got rid of his former boss's brother at defensive coordinator. Yep. He, all the adversity that came with it, those guys are 12-1. and one. I'm impressed with Lincoln Riley. He deserves some credit for, for that. I, I'd give him the, HC, uh, the head coach of the year award. And, and I think they're going to give Alabama a, a hell of a run. I, I, I just really do. Um, last question. Last question. This is from Count Isvon. And – Boomer, you and I do all of our Twitter stuff, and, and we've got a you know a soft spot in our heart for Count Isvon. We've we've done a lot of back and forth chatting with him. He's a fun dude. We think he's well. I mean, it's Twitter. We think it's a he, right? I, we don't I presume saying. pronouns it's here, not a Matt. Yeah, it's whatever they choose. <laughs> yeah. So, I guess I say he without ever having met the person. Well, account, but account is a male kind of a. Title. I would agree. I would absolutely agree with that. Anyways, Count Isvon asked next year, what bowl game? Are we te- uh, are we saying NU's going to be playing for next year? So, uh, Boomer, I'm going to start with you on this one. Where is wh- where is NU one year from now? Uh, let's see. Do we dare say we're going to the playoffs? That might be a little pie in the sky at this point. I started with you, Boomer, because I wanted to have the most pessimistic right. person first and then kind of work up from there. I am going to say we go to – I'm trying to think what my early season projection is for next year. We're going to the Citrus Bowl next year. How about that? 
Very nice. Dave, where is Nebraska playing next year in the Bulls? What What are the playoff semifinals next year? Ooh, this year it's, it's, my, it's Orange Bowl and the... That's going to be a boomer question to look at. Yeah, Dude. give me a second. I'll have it for you here. Um, oh, it's, it's the Cotton it Bowl. Though, Dave, it's the like, Cotton Bowl this year. It sounds like you're talking one of these games, though. No, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna say New Year's Day six, but not a semifinal. So I'll let you oh. do that. We were building up, obviously. So, I'll, <laughs> nice, very nice, Dave. Yeah, I'll, I'll take the sugar, maybe if that's. I'll, I'll just say New Year's Day six. six uh, let's see, yeah, yeah, New Year's Day six. Yep, there, Mac. So. Okay, Mac. What about you? So I will take the Outback Bowl. Oh, so yeah, very nice. That's, so you know, not New kind of a six. little bit of a drop down from what Dave just said. Just a little, just a yeah, little. I don't know. Still, yeah, it's a New I'm Year's Day bowl. You know, I'm going flat out college football playoff. I mean, <laughs> when you look at the schedule that these guys have, and second year, and and we'll be stronger, and yada yada, and all that, we will be uh, we will be in the top four. No one opted. That's no one opted for the Surf Pro First Responders Bowl. Yeah, I didn't think we we're. <laughs> to to Max's point about Tom Herman, I mean, if you want to draw parallels to Texas. In Nebraska next year, let's say we like upset Ohio State in Game Four or whatever. But then they have to play Ohio State in the championship game in December. We lose to that that team. Texas landed in uh, the where they at the Fiesta or, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, they're playing Georgia. Yeah, Georgia. So and they they have a New Year's Day uh, six bowl game. So I feel like that's a very comparable I take that scenario, in a right? Yeah, take I that in a heartbeat. Un- unlike ESPN, I. I am biased, and uh, I am biased towards towards my team, and so we're, we're going to make the playoffs. So excellent. Now there are a couple of bowls I don't think we are technically eligible for next year because we have like uh, agreements with some of them where you're not going to have the same team every six years or so. So like, uh, what the Foster Farms Bowl is now what like the Red Box Bowl or something Correct. like that. So we wouldn't be allowed to go to that. So you can cross that off your list. Any Redcasters listening at home? So. Because Michigan State went this year. No, because or? we went in the last six years. So well, and, and, and they Boomer, want to keep it is t- fresh, so they don't. Uh, so our, our tie-ins with the bowls, now. they kind of shuffle it around a bit. So it's a. It's also too bad we didn't make the Independence Bowl this year. They're called the Walk-Ons Independence Bowl, and that's just a natural tie-in to Nebraska. But yeah, but do you really want to go to Shreveport? I mean, it just no. I've been there. It's horrible. Yeah, okay. Although we, we apologize I own to Hyundai's Shreveport, but I, I own two Hyundai's, so the Sun Bowl, Hyundai Sun Bowl, that would be a natural <laughs> for me. But all right. Anyways, Dave, I think you, we we should probably move on. Yeah, Dave, get yeah, us we, out of here. We can move on. All right, let's let's head into just a quick Nebraska ball segment, and we'll get out of here. Nebraska ball. Uh, Boomer, uh, we now have a ranked Nebraska basketball team. Twenty. God, what is the last time we could say that? Well, it happened. Well, we weren't doing the podcast, but it was right? twenty fourteen. Yeah. It probably was only one week. I think we lost right away, and that was it. Rhode Island. Of course, we did. You know, uh, yeah. So. The uh, the Huskers uh, took care of business, uh, beating Clemson in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. Big Ten split that challenge seven seven. Uh, they really should have won eight and six, but we'll let Purdue slide on that one, I guess. Yeah. Um, just blew that. But uh, overall, good performance by the Big Ten and Nebraska. Actually, really headed that off on Monday night, last Monday night, by uh, beating Clemson in Clemson. Yeah. And. Uh, then won our very first Big Ten, uh, the Big Ten opener versus Illinois. Really were in control of that game for the majority. Didn't always play our best, but still won by 15, which is one of those things where that's just how it's going to 
going to work this year if this team keeps this up. Uh, how you feeling? Well, I liked what I saw this last week out of that. You know, beating Clemson was huge. I mean, you got to get those wins against those named non-conference teams, which we didn't have last year to, to you know, buck up the resume. So that was right. huge. Let's just hope Clemson, you know, has a good uh, rest of the season. That beca- that stays a good win for us. Yep. And then that game versus Illinois, you know, like you said, it wasn't always pretty. There were We had a couple of those, you know, patented miles scoring droughts that we always seem to have. But on the plus side, we paired it when Illinois had scoring droughts. And we never quite let them get super close. They might cut it to, you know, eight points, nine points, seven points. But then again, then we'd go on a little run and stretch that out to, you know, back to a 10, 12, 15 point lead. So they never really threatened in that game. And what I really wanted to take away from that game is I really hope the team was paying attention to how they performed when you're not taking so many threes, you're taking smart threes that are there, make those, and then work inside. I mean, when Palmer's, you know, pushing inside and you're getting to the free throw line as much as they did, just look at how much easier the game is for us. When the sure. other team's the one in foul trouble or their defenders have to play a little bit softer because they have all these fouls, we're getting free points, you know, constantly inside with making our free throws. And then that opens up the the game for everybody else. You know, it's a lot easier for Watson to hit shots because he's not under, you know, pressure to have to try to keep up and we're just not throwing up crazy threes and the game's just so much easier that way for us. You know, that's they need to see that, and I just want to, you know, see them keep playing that way. You know, hopefully they do that against Minnesota. Yeah, I think there's a little bit of a yin and yang here on this offense uh, for Nebraska in the sense that uh, there's a couple games last year later in the season where we really did see uh, some defenses really pack the defense in, make those driving lanes hard to get through, and then we couldn't make three-point shots and our, our, our offense really bogged down, right? So right. I feel like there has to be a balance, right? I think they only took 14 threes this time, and that's great. Uh, but we also need to be able to have that three-point threat because it does uh, open up the defense, which allows those driving lanes to happen, right? It's kind of a – you need a little bit of both, so yeah, well, it, it, it works, yeah. you know? It does, but, you know, that's what I think we need to do. You want to – if you're driving inside and they're packing it inside, fine. Then start taking your threes. But like in the previous games we were watching, like you know, good Texas threes. Tech you and stuff like threes. that, we were right. just throwing up threes because we didn't have any other plan or weren't doing anything else in that game. We threw up way too many. They weren't going in, and we weren't trying at all to go inside at that point. So I will. Yeah. I I agree with with Boomer on, specifically with the Texas Tech game, which I think blew us all away, and we talked about that last week. Um, specifically, free throw wise against Illinois, we were twenty five of thirty. Palmer, I believe, shot 26 three, uh, free throws, if I'm, yeah. if I'm correct, against Seton Hall in Illinois, and he shot five against Texas Tech and Clemson. So, I mean, those are pretty decent numbers right now, you know, in terms of the difference. Um, one of the things I thought that was interesting against Illinois, Watson gets into that early foul trouble, and we started to see some different lineups. Throughout the, the course of the first seven or so games, um, we always had two bigs on the court. Any combination, it was two of any combination of Roby Copeland, Bor- Borkhart, and uh, Hyman, right? Well, at one point against Illinois, we had one big on the court. We had Roby, and it was a very athletic lineup that had uh, Akaton, Watson, Palmer, and Harris with them. Then all of a sudden, they make a, a you know, they, they do some substitutions, and all of a sudden, we had three bigs on the court. We had Roby Copeland and Borchardt with Palmer and Allen. So we were making some changes there. I mean, we were moving. We were moving guys around. We were showing some different lineups. I know it's early in the season and it's Miles playing around with some stuff, but it was cool to see some differences. I do want to. I want to make one little point here with Creighton because this is a huge game coming up, and it's coming up here on 5 p.m. on on Saturday on BTN. 
And anyone that watched Creighton play Gonzaga, I watched the whole game. I could go into a long scouting report. I won't. I'll sit here and I'll say a couple things here. Crumple, they've got a big body dude underneath. He was impressive. He got some some rebounds. He was able to to, to put some back against uh, uh, Gonzaga. That's a guy that we're going to have to defend against. If we can get him outside, if we can actually try to dribble against him, uh, we've got some bigs that can that can take him off the dribble, flat out. Uh, Gonzaga has that guy like Hatchamur or whatever the dude's name is. That dude destroyed Crumple when he'd come out and try to to cover him up on top of the key. If we can get, I think Roby or or Copeland to do that, take care of him. Epperson, big body dude, kind of reminds me of like a bigger boar shark, to be quite honest. Um, Ballack, they had a very streaky shooter. That's the guy from Kansas that picked Creighton over KU. Very streaky. If he's good, you're in trouble. And Creighton was very good shooting the outside early in that game, and they got up double digits on the number one team in the country. But then some of those you know points or some of those shots didn't fall, and you know that that was kind of the the end for him. Tyshawn Alexander is a big time scorer. They have a guy Mintz, very very athletic, and the guy that really impressed me, the last guy I'll talk about, they have this guy Jefferson, and he's just he's a he's a forward. He's just very productive. I mean, God, he was if there was a rebound to be gotten, he got it. He he'd put it back up. He'd get fouled. I mean, he just was a productive dude. So, my long story short is we've got to beat Creighton. This is the year that we've said it all along. We have to beat Creighton this year, and Creighton, and I hate saying it, they're so much better than I wanted them to be right now. Mm-hmm. I thought they would be this disaster of a team as we are you know as we were playing as well as we possibly can and i'm looking at a team and i'm like oh my god we're gonna have to play really good on saturday yep. no to beat these guys. i agree it's, it's gonna I be think, a test yeah, i think this whole week is a kind of a must win week you, you, you know you, you got to beat creighton because you don't want to lose to them and that could easily send you know this portion of the season to a funk if you lose to creighton because then you have oklahoma state coming up pretty soon after that and you don't want to you know they're not a great oklahoma state team this year but you don't want to play them in a kind of in a slump, and then we have our two scrub games. But, you know, Nebraska ball has proven very capable of losing to those scrub teams, you know, for the last few years. Well, and plus, and you've got to be Minnesota. Be Minnesota. On night. You know, you've got to win these non-conference games against the, you know, the mid-range average Big Ten teams on the road. I mean, these are the ones you have to try to capture and win because you're, you're not going to expect mm-hmm. to beat Iowa's and Michigan State's and everything on the road. That's going to be tough. So take advantage of these road chances when you have them against these kind of teams. You need to win these. Yeah, yep. yeah. And Dave, can I ask one question? You you brought up such a great point in a text conversation with us. I I just wanted to bring this up. When we played Clemson, they had under seven thousand people in attendance, and Nebraska has been selling out. You know, Pinnacle Bank and fifteen plus thousand people for for how many years now? And here's Clemson, a team that went to what the Sweet Sixteen yep, last that's year, right. and, and they got under seven thousand attendance. And, and you just brought up multiple good points that I thought were really impressive. And and I mean. How can we get fifteen thousand? They can't even get seven thousand for a game like that. Sure, yeah. I mean, yeah. Nebraska should count its blessings that it's in a, a town of three hundred thousand plus or minus, and it's forty-five minutes away from a town of eight hundred thousand or whatever Omaha is these days, nine hundred thousand almost. Uh, Clemson, big-time university. You can uh, bring a lot of people in for college football Saturdays there in uh, South Carolina. But Clemson itself as a town is like under 20,000. Enrollment's under 20,000 in Clemson. It's, you know, several hours away, uh, maybe two, two and a half from Atlanta, Charlotte, et cetera. So it's, on Monday night basketball, you're just not going to get Clemson fans to randomly show up like you would here in, 
in Nebraska. And so I think that makes a huge difference. You know, um, not only are they the only show in town, there's enough people in the town to actually make a difference. <laughs> I see him there. And the last thing I'm going to say about basketball, and, and, and we can move on, it's way too early for me to say this, so I will. Allen, this guy defensively, dare I say Larry Florence or Cookie Belcher or some of these names, like he is outstanding defensively. Allen is he's becoming a you know a, a heat seeking missile getting getting steals. The guy is a great coverage dude and and he's really finding his role. He's the the least talked about obviously of all the starters, but I'm just really impressed with with how he plays defense and the and the intensity he brings to it. We're starting to get some guys that are becoming role players and 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 we know who the the guys on this team are going to be. We know who the the studs are. Those three seniors, those are the leaders. Not even Roby. Those three seniors are the leaders, but ever, you know, other guys are starting to fill in and play roles, and that's the thing that can make this team from good to great. Yeah, let's hope so. I think defensively, it's a really good point, Hawk, in the sense that I think they're a top five defensive team right now, and um, if they're going to beat Creighton, and if they're going to be able to beat, as, as Boomer says, just an average Minnesota team, but they still have uh, some pretty darn good players out there, Murphy and, and Coffey, you, you got to play great defense because you may not always have your shot that night. So, uh, you know, Mac, I'm hoping you're going to stay engaged on this because if they can win these two games tonight or this week and, and really kind of creep a little bit farther up in, into these polls by the end of the uh, end of the year, uh, then you get to the point where the Big Ten, everybody you're going to play, half of them are going to be ranked. I think there's like seven Big Ten teams ranked right now. So whenever you do lose, you're probably going to lose to a ranked team. And so it's like not looked as, as bad, right? So suddenly you're 15th, you go to 19th. You win next week, you're back to 15th, right? Suddenly we're so always going to be ranked the rest of the year. We're the SEC of basketball. Exactly. There you go. Yeah. Brilliant. We just need to play Bethune-Cookman in February and, <laughs> and all's right with the world. Uh, all right, guys, let's get out of here with some parting <laughs> shots. Honky, what do you got for me? Well, you want to talk about a great program. Talk about Nebraska volleyball. Congrats to the to the, the girls this weekend for a perfect weekend. They went 6-0 and in sets against Hofstra and number 24 Mizzou. And uh, everyone should be watching Friday at 1 p.m. If you can, ESPNU, they're going to be playing number 10 Kentucky in Minneapolis. So if they can win, win that game, you know, hopefully Minnesota wins theirs and we can have a – uh, an all Big Ten game playing to to get into the Final Four. A um, couple other things, real quick. I had a no phone weekend, as I was talking about earlier with Boomer. I wasn't on Twitter, wasn't on anything, and it was wonderful. I suggest this to any Redcaster out there. Every once in a while, put the phone down and just watch games and pay attention to it. I, I'm terrible at that. And the last thing, and this is just kind of housekeeping, but uh, we have our Redcast Pick'em winner, and the guy who I'm going to be buying uh, lunch for is. Producer Skip. Good job, Skip. Yeah, out of like 43 contestants. I mean, this is awesome. Redcasters, thank you for playing. My goodness. There's, there's, you know, the four of us, and then we have Skip, so I guess five, and 38 other people played along with us. Thank you all, but Skip's still smarter than you all. (laughs) And and on top of that, uh, Max sitting right here to my left, he finished second, tied for second with – Who's the, I read about stuff? I, I look at dropped points. I <laughs> okay. I, at I read about stuff. I don't know. Point is, though, he did a great job, too, and he tied Mac for second. But uh, producer Skip, uh, next time I'm up in Colorado, I'm going to be buying you lunch. Awesome. All right. Mac, what do you got? Um, I, listen, I'm, I'm as hopeful as the rest of us that the, uh, the basketball team remains ranked 
you know i'd love to i'd love to participate in talking about it but uh but we're gonna have to stay out there boys that's right all right boomer uh, well, I'd kind of joked earlier about how uh, the FBS season is behind us, and that's not entirely true. We do have one more remaining game this weekend. It's one of my favorite non-Nebraska-related games, Army-Navy. So any football fan, you really need to sit down and watch this game, watch the, the fans and the cadets and you know the midshipmen out there. And if you want to see some really kick-ass alternate uniforms, watch how they decked out both these teams this year. They are outstanding and just really part of the fun of college football, watching these two teams play every year. Yeah, the Army one is, is just absolutely outstanding, and that could be a great alternative uniform from Nebraska someday. I mean, that, it's it's killer. Uh, it says Big Red on yeah, it, right? Big Red, Red 1. Yeah, they're, they're honoring right. the, yeah. Yeah, the first division. Mm-hmm. Yep, it's awesome. All right, guys, uh, great show. Good talking to you. We'll be uh, back next week probably with some more recruiting news as that ramps up to National Signing Day. Uh, for now, let's call that a Go Big Redcast. Go Army and Go Navy.